Hey, everybody. Welcome to Double Edge Stories, the yeah. podcast. Woo! I'm um, David Surchuk. I'm Randy Skaggs. We're so sorry we uh, haven't talked to you in a long time on our podcast. It's been about half a year, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Our, um, we've had shows and stuff. You've had plenty of opportunities to catch up with us, but we're back at it. We're using our quarantine time to do something productive. It only took almost three weeks, and uh, <laughs> we're going to have stories from our October 2019 show at the Bard Sound. And what was that one all about, Randy? So that was our spooky show. Uh, half the show was dedicated to uh, supernatural stories, and the other half were dedicated to scary stories that are part of our natural world. Listen, we're dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety right now. Um, so we're going to start you all off with some supernatural scary stories because we've got enough natural stuff happening in our world today. Everybody knows ghosts are real. Uh, sure. Right? Uh, <laughs> right. Real, oh, honey. man, that'd be terrible. You're quarantined in your home. You can't go anywhere. And you're like, dang it, my house is haunted. And you've got a ghost. It's <laughs> like the Brady believe. Bunch. Remember that? He's like, ghosts, come and get me. <laughs> that medallion. Peter was such a jerk. And what if the ghost is like, man, really? You're not going to go to work? Like, that was my playground. Like an introverted ghost. (laughs) Ghost is like, you know, I live here too. I need my quiet time. Like, this is not cool. So um, we're going to start you guys off with some great stories today. And we're going to play you the first half of our show. And if you haven't been to our show... Uh, we do varying lengths of stories. We do a roughly five-minute story, roughly 10-minute, and roughly 15. So it's kind of neat how the stories develop and change as the show goes on. So you're going to hear some stories uh, that are shorter and longer uh, from amazing storytellers, including... Go ahead. You want me? Okay, yeah. (laughs) So we've got Stephen Michael Corr. Corr. It's like we've never met. Stephen Michael Carr, who uh, is making his second appearance... On the Double Edge Stories podcast, That's right. Stephanie Hester, who um, was new to our show, and I think generally speaking, new to storytelling anyway, and uh, her story is fantastic. and And I think you might know the third person, who is my beautiful and talented co-host, Randy Skaggs. And uh, so we're excited about the show. I mean, it was it was a costume kind of night, or we encourage costumery. And so we were dressed like uh, the Adams family, where I was uh, Gomez and Randy was Morticia. And Stephanie, actually, of her own accord, came as Wednesday Adams. So when you hear her story, imagine a Wednesday Adams telling it. It was wonderful. Well, without further ado, let's get you started off with uh, a somewhat spooky and also somewhat heartfelt story by Stephen Michael Carr. <laughs> Howdy. So, I had a dream when I was 15 years old. And in this dream, I was in elementary school. I was going to Okalona Elementary in Okalona. Surprise. And uh, in this dream, I um, am in school. I'm in my classroom. And the overhead uh, speaker comes on, and it tells me that I'm supposed to be a car rider today, right? And this is a very weird thing because my, um, my cousin, Laura, was my babysitter whenever I was a kid, and she lived in the Markwell Court apartment complex, which was right behind Okalona Elementary, right? So usually, whenever school was over, 
I and my gaggle of friends, we would get together, we would walk out the back of the school, we would walk through the playground, and then we would be at the apartment complex, and we would just go our separate ways and go sit down, right? So the fact that I was a car rider was this really weird thing. So I, you know, the, the bell rings, and I go out, and um, I am standing out waiting for, you know, the car rider line, and the car pulls up, and it is my Uncle Pee-wee, which is my cousin Laura's dad. Um, as a kid, I called him Peepaw, right? So I was like, oh, my God, it's Peepaw, right? So he pulls up, and I walk up to the car, and he rolls down the window, and he's like, hey, Bubba, which was his name for me. And he said, hey, Bubba, get in the car. We've got places to go. And I look at him, and I say, Peepaw, what are you doing here? You've been dead for eight years. And, you know, I think something that is important to say about all of this is that um, he didn't, like, he wasn't rotting. He wasn't a zombie, right? He wasn't a ghost. He just looked like himself. I just happened to know in my dream that he was dead, right? And so uh, he says, well, you know, we've got some stuff that I need to show you some things. Get in the car. And because, you know, there wasn't some weird ominous music going on in the background, it wasn't like creepy, there was nothing scary about this dream, there was nothing ominous about this dream, so I, I got in the car with my people, right? And we pull out of the school, and we go directly to the right, and we pull right into the Markwell Court apartment complex, and I'm like, well, why the hell did we get in the car? Why did we have to do that? We could have just, just walked, you know? And we, we pull up into the parking spot, and we get out, and we walk through to um, the apartment building that he lived in whenever he was alive. And he, you know, opens the door to his apartment and we walk inside. And inside, sitting around the dining room table, is my grandfather, whose name is Dan, my great-grandmother, whose name is Lillian, and my great-aunt, his wife, whose name is Mary, who I always called Mimi. And all three of them had been dead for longer than he had been dead. And so they welcome me into this apartment. And I look at them and I say, all of you are dead. What are you doing here? Like, what, what is going on? And they say, Stephen, there is one day out of the year whenever the veil between the living and the dead is very thin. And we're able to poke through and we're able to come visit the people that we want to come visit. And we chose to come visit you. And I'm just like, oh shit, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. So they sit me down at this dining room table and they start asking me questions. And it's, it's like, what's so interesting is that it's, it's also mundane. They are asking me questions about like, so are you seeing anybody? What are you learning in school? What's your favorite subject? Who are your friends? Do you have any plans for Christmas? All the things that like your aunt asks you at Thanksgiving that you know that you're always like, yeah, maybe, so what, whatever. <laughs> but but it was just it was so strange because it was like, here are all my family members that I know are dead and have been dead for a very long time. And like I said, none of them are like rotting off the bone or anything, but they're asking me these questions and they want to know about my life. And so I'm I'm talking to them and then so once I finally finish all of their questions, they ask, I get the opportunity to ask them questions, and I say, well, so, like, what's it like on the other side? Like, are there pearly gates? Is St. Peter there? Like, are, is every, are there choirs of angels? What's going on? And they 
kind of stop me and they say, we, we can't answer any of those questions. We can't answer any of those questions. You, just, you have to see for yourself whenever you get there. And I think, you know, um, an important thing to pull from this is that uh, what this dream that I had taught me was that even though they didn't tell me anything about the afterlife, they all seemed comfortable, they all seemed safe, they were fine, they weren't worried about anything, they just wanted to know about me and what I was doing. And so that kind of gave me some comfort that like whatever happens next, it's going to be okay, right? So I wake up from my dream, and I call my cousin Laura, who was my babysitter, who is Peepaw and Mimi's daughter, right? She's 17 years older than I am. I call her and I say, Laura, I had this really strange dream last night, and both of your parents were in it. And, you know, I had a dream that your dad picked me up from school, and I was in elementary school around the corner from your all's old apartment complex. She's real quiet. She doesn't say anything. And I'm telling her, you know, that, uh, you know, I went into the apartment, and there, her, you know, her grandmother and her mom and my grandfather were there. And we just sat and talked, and she's really quiet. She doesn't say anything. And I say, Laura, is everything okay? And she says, I had a dream last night. I had a dream last night that I got off work from Baptist East Hospital. I had a dream that my dad picked me up from work, and he took me back to the Markwell Port the Markwell Court apartment complex, and those same people were there, and they told me that one day out of the year the veil is really thin, and they can pierce and they can visit the people that they want to visit, and they wanted to know how my life was. And so I'm here to tell you that I I don't know if um, if the afterlife is a thing. But I will tell you that my cousin and I had the same exact dream, except, you know, they picked me up from school and they picked her up from work and they took us to the same place and they told us the same things. And uh, so all of that to say that, you know, everyone thinks that October is the month whenever the veil is very thin and that the living and the dead can interact with one another. And I'm here to tell you that October is not it, according to my family. According, <laughs> according to my family, it is a random Tuesday in May. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Stephen is just such a great storyteller. Um, and I feel like we needed something heartfelt to get us started. I think a lot of us are missing our families right now. And... It's nice to think about family this time. Yeah. My memory of that show mainly is that I lost my voice the following day and couldn't talk again for about a week. As the show went on progressively, uh, I had less and less ability to speak, unlike today. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a uh, fantastic story from Stephen and um, you know, also had a connection with, with his cousin, Laura, who uh, we, we know you know, outside of the show, which, yeah. is, which is pretty cool. We're going to uh, turn it over now to Stephanie Hester, and she's talking about a topic that, sadly, uh, unfortunately, I know quite a bit about, which is night terrors, which are night terrors. Um, if this is not a topic you're very familiar with, she's uh, not only going to teach you about it, she's going to terrify you and also make you laugh, if memory serves, because that's her specialty. Uh, so enjoy this spooky tale. Yeah, uh, real quick before we go, I appreciate that Randy... Uh, 
had the right tense of night terrors. They are night terrors, not is night terrors. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> and Stephanie's is really cool. We, oh we met her. We met her through a storytelling workshop, uh, I believe. Correct. Yeah, me? she attended our workshop, and then she actually told a story with us before this, and just nailed it. She just um, she's nailed a it. very charismatic, hilarious, engaging storyteller. We're very proud that she's graced our stage. All right, let's do it. Put the owner thunder. Stephanie Um, So I am no stranger to the paranormal or things that go bump in the night because I have something called sleep paralysis, which means I wake up in the middle of the night, unable to breathe most of the time, never able to move. I'm literally paralyzed. Um, I can see everything going on around me. Uh, sometimes I think I'm screaming but I'm not. I see things too, things that aren't really there, or so I thought. Um, if you were to ever do any research, or if you've ever known anyone who has this, uh, the term shadow people is likely to come up uh, because that's what or who, I guess, we see. Um, and it always boggles my mind to think about how so many different people from all across the world report seeing a variation of the same thing. For me, shadow people start out as like ocean waves on the walls and they dart and glide and shift all around the room so fast until they're finished with that dance and slowly begin to melt and meet in the middle of the room to form three separate shadow people. They're faceless, shapeless beings with eyes. Sometimes they stand at the foot of my bed. Other times they float like horizontally over top of me, nose to non-existent nose, um, just staring, watching, and contemplating. This started happening to me um, at a really young age. I didn't even bother telling my mom about it. I figured uh, she would just chalk it up to a bad dream, and I knew this wasn't that. Um, and besides, my mom was not big on coddling, especially when it came to boo-boos and feel-bads. Um, anytime... <laughs> Anytime my brothers or I complained about anything, she'd just tell us to get up and walk around that whatever was bothering us was too far from our hearts to kill us. So uh, on we went with our sore throats, belly aches, and paranormal activities going on in our bedrooms. So I just learned to deal with it, accept it. I eventually started trying different techniques to pull myself out of it faster and faster each time. So it came as no surprise a few years ago when I moved into my new house uh, that I had an episode a few nights in. Um, I woke up feeling myself starting to slip into it, but not soon enough to stop it. And soon my shadow people were in place and the show was about to begin. But something about that night felt different. They seemed preoccupied, um, like they were in a hurry. And for the first time ever, they looked away from me and towards my bedroom door like they had heard something. And I heard it too, footsteps. Loud, slow, dramatic footsteps. And then I suddenly got like an overwhelming sense of, or scent of burning wood and mouthwash of all things. And then there was a man standing in my doorway and he wasn't a shadow man, he was a real man, dressed well, but completely filthy. 
His eyes were black. I could tell he was really mad. His clothing was from another time period altogether. Um, and then he, my shadow people just freaking left me. They, I'm not kidding. They took one look at this dude and got the hell out of Dodge. I swear I only saw him take one step into the room, but that somehow brought him all the way to my side of the bed where he proceeded to take a fucking seat. And I'm just laying there, still paralyzed by the way, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. I tried the whole you're not real, you're not real bit while closing my eyes only to open them and see that he was sitting closer and closer to me each time. And he was really amused by all of this. He was laughing. I concentrated harder than I ever had to pull myself out and was finally able to do so. I was so relieved to find out that he wasn't really there and I was okay, but I still kept myself awake for a good three nights straight after that. Um, and he came back. Night after night, he'd come back and scare away my shadow friends and just sit there and laugh at me and torment me. And I grew tired of it quite quickly. I'm not embarrassed to admit, I'm just a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> and while I never had full say over my shadow people, we at least had a routine established. And evil, <laughs> evil scary ghost dude was messing all of that up. I decided I needed to try and communicate with him. Um, if he was gonna be part of my semi-normal paranormal world, we needed to lay down some ground rules. I didn't want him around at all, um, but you know, I figured I needed to try to at least get a message to him to tell him that, and I knew I couldn't do that in the middle of paralysis. So one night, as I was getting ready for bed, I just simply called out, hey mister, I don't know who you really are, so I've named you Edgar, okay? And then I flinched and held my breath and waited because I realized I'd just ask him a question and that was really fucking stupid because I did not want him to answer. <laughs> and luckily he didn't, he didn't. And so I just continued. And I, I said, I'm going to bed now and I would appreciate it if you never came back. I really need to sleep and you're not helping. Please and thank you. And then I crawled into bed feeling victorious until I woke up paralyzed with my new friend Edgar standing right next to me. Bent down at the waist, his face and mine. And you guys, Edgar was pissed. He spoke to me for the first time that night. He got all up in my face and whispered, so you wanna know who I am? I'll show you who I am. And then took both of his hands and pressed them and into my chest, I'm assuming as hard as he possibly could. He was crushing me. And I, I was married at the time and I remember looking over at my husband's side of the bed and saw that he was sitting there playing a game on his iPad. <laughs> I remember looking at the TV and mentally noting that Mythbusters was on, but muted. <laughs> and um, he just would not let up. Uh, remember how I told you in the beginning that I sometimes think I'm screaming, but I'm not. That apparently comes out as a really weird grunting sound. And my ex-husband heard it 
because he was suddenly saying, Stephanie, 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 wake up, come out of it, come out of it, wake up. And as soon as he started speaking, Edgar took his hands off of me, looked over at my ex-husband, waited for him to stop speaking, and as soon as he did, went right back to, went right back to trying to kill me. Um, I must have started making the noise again because this time the bedroom lights flicked on and my ex-husband was shaking me until I could get myself out of it. But I came to choking for air. I uh, decided the next night I was going to sleep in the guest bedroom in an attempt to throw Edgar off, but he still found me. This time I wasn't even asleep yet. He crept into the room, put his mouth to my ear, and just not, not quietly at all declared, that's why you have cancer. And because I was not in paralysis at this point in time, I was immediately able to jump up off that bed while screaming, what the fuck, Edgar? I spent the rest of the night trying to decide if I needed a psychiatrist, an exorcist, or a priest. I called my friend Jamie the next morning and told her everything that was going on for the first time really needing someone to tell me that it was just a bad dream, that I was just stressed, I had a lot on my plate. But Jamie told me to make a doctor's appointment instead. And I said, you mean with like a psychiatrist or a therapist or something like that? And she said, no, I mean with like an oncologist or something like that. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it works like that. I mean, what would I even say? Like, hi, an evil ghost told me I have cancer, so I need to be checked for all of them. <laughs> Besides, I don't think I have cancer. And Jamie said, yeah, but what if you do? So while a medical doctor of some capacity was probably the most logical decision, I feel like I went with the second smartest option and I called a psychic medium instead. <laughs> I told her nothing other than my first name and that I wanted to book an appointment for the full package of crystals and chants and cloaks and sages to be done at my house, but I did not tell her why. She booked my appointment, told me she'd see me then, um, and then before we hang up, hung up, she calmly said to me, don't worry about your health or your house in the meantime. You are not sick and the man is not evil. He is just a bully. He was a bully in life and he's a bully in death. And besides, you know he's too far from your heart to kill you. Thank you. Good luck trying to sleep tonight. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that was a, that was a truly spooky story. Um, coming up though, from uh, my lovely and talented co-host Randy is is yet another spooky story. And uh, you know, is there any kind of like non-story specific background you'd like to give for this one, Randy? I think you know because it's, because it's a longer story. There's not a ton, but I will say that. This is your, you know, kind of traditional haunted house ghost story. It takes place in uh, Bonneville, Kentucky. Um, if you're, when we get to travel again, uh, if you're heading south on I-65, um, you know, and you pass Elizabeth Town, you're going to pass a few other towns. There's a tiny town you might miss called Bonneville, very rural, um, and the house is still there um, that I'm going to reference in the story. 
But yeah, this is like the the big ghost story in our family and um, it really happened. And if you don't believe in ghosts, that's fine. I will challenge you to go spend a night at that house by yourself if you're so convinced. A version of this story was on... Uh... The podcast called Spooked, Spooked, that's which right. is part of Snap Judgment. If you haven't listened to that, uh, not not I'm not talking about my story, but just in general, Snap Judgment's an incredible podcast. Uh, Spooked is great if you like true scary stories. Um, the version of this on there is very short, and I they did leave out like a lot of what are my favorite parts of the story. So that's kind of why I wanted to tell it again, and I wanted to tell a longer version. But, yeah, um, looking ahead, we're going to be back next podcast with the natural parts of the night that were scary. We also have uh, stories from our Valentine's Day show that we're debating whether or not those would make good podcast material. I'm, I'm leaning towards they probably would. They probably would. And we want to give you, you know, what what you want. We know you've been demanding podcasts from us. We hear your voices. So we're responding with <laughs> holiday-themed podcasts from months and months and months ago that, oh, um, you know... I, th- I think next up will be uh, like Arbor Day or something yeah. like that, you know. Let's do it. Arbor Day stories. Yeah. Oof. Oh, those are the best. Without further ado, though, how about we actually tell you a ghost story now? You yes. ready for it? <laughs> okay. Uh, buckle up. So in an often tumultuous childhood, my mama and papa, they were my security. And I spent just about every moment that I could at their house. And what house that was, that was constantly changing. They were very poor, they lived in a very poor town, and they hopped from rental home to rental home, and most of them were pretty decrepit. But when I was around six or seven, they moved into a different house, and it had this huge sloping front yard, the kind that you couldn't wait to roll down in the summer and sled down in the winter. Had this big oak tree next to it with a tire swing. There were bluebells everywhere. It was perfect. And the house itself was nice and neat. It was very small, but it was in really good shape. There was a little galley kitchen, a little shared living room, dining room area, two bedrooms, a basement. Um, There were these really odd stairs to the left of the kitchen that went to an attic that was locked. And somehow, you know, kids love stairs to nowhere. Something about that was really fascinating to me. But the house itself felt off instantly. And it was little stuff, you know, like I didn't want to be alone ever in a room. I always felt like somebody was staring at me. And so my, you know, if my mama went to the bathroom, I went with her, which really drove her crazy. And we would just hear things, you know, just noises in the attic, which was really weird because the attic was locked. We were not allowed up there. And that in and of itself was strange because I had one of those memos. You talk about free range parenting. It was free range grandparenting. We could do whatever we want, but not the attic for some reason. And then the footsteps would start coming down the stairs from the attic, but when we'd stop talking, we'd stop hearing it. And it was almost kind of fun, you know, like we'd kind of scare each other. My aunt, her name is Mozella, she was 18 at the time, and she was living there and she would say she could hear chains clinking at night and we would all kind of laugh at her, you know, like, okay. But then things became more sinister. My papa was really jovial, like funny, a jokester, really warm, and suddenly he was irritable all the time and cold all the time. He would go and mess with the furnace in the basement constantly. And my grandparents had this dog, Snowball, who looked just like her name, just a big ball of fluff, 
beautiful and very sweet and chill, but in that house, she was anxious, constantly. In fact, there was one window in my grandparents' bedroom, and she would sit there and stare at this spot and just bark and bark and bark. And you were sure if you could just see what she was seeing, you would understand, but there was nothing there. And this made my grandmother really upset. And so my grandmother made it very clear that that door to the bedroom, bedroom was to remain shut at all times. And then everything came to a head one night. Mama and Papa had been at my house about five miles away, and they brought me back with them to spend the night. And as the car pulled up to the house, the basement door was ajar, and the light was flooding out into the black night. And my Papa slammed on the brakes, and he went into protector mode, and he said, stay here. And he got out, and he went into the basement. And we waited. And I could hear my Mama, she was breathing heavily. I could tell she was terrified. And finally, she couldn't take it anymore, and she gets out of the car. She says, come with me, honey. And we go, and we stand at the top of the basement stairs, and Mama says, Lester? And I hear his voice, and it is terrified. And he says, Millie, it's okay. Just don't come down here. And now, if you tell a woman in my family we can't do something, we are now contractually obligated to do the thing <laughs> that you said we can't do. So Mama grabs me, and we start charging down that, those stairs. But she stops about three stairs before the bottom and she's just looking down. And it takes me a minute to realize what I'm seeing. I am looking at footprints on these stairs. They go all the way down the stairs, they go across the cement basement floor, and they go up the wall, and they stop at the furnace. And they are red. Not bright red like the Kool-Aid I drank, they are a dark, rusty, sickening red, and they are the shape of a man's shoe. And it was like I lost all sense of hearing. I couldn't hear anything. I was in this sort of bubble, and my little kid brain was not, like, I just had no clue what does this mean. And when my hearing came back, what I heard were my grandparents bickering. <laughs> and my papa was saying, now, Millie, you know the dog just got into something. The dog is just making a big mess. Now, don't get all hysterical about this. And my mama, with like very little restraint in her voice, like on the verge of screaming, says, Lester, that does not look like a dog's paw. And he goes, well, let's go see. And we look in the house, and finally I hear my papa triumph, and he says, see, look, I told you. And the dog is under my aunt's bed, cowering, shaking. But that snow-white fur, there is not a spot on it. The dog is not hurt, the dog is terrified. My papa, when he couldn't understand where something came from, he would clean it up, throw it away, and then we didn't talk about it. So he cleaned off the stairs, threw the mess away, and we didn't talk about it. And suddenly, my security, my mama and papa, like, they were not my security anymore. I was terrified to be around them or around their house. And I didn't come around anymore. And it, it, was, like, it was like living my life without a limb. You know, I was so used to them. And months went by, and it drove my grandparents crazy because they liked having their grandkids around. And Mama would say to me, honey, you know somebody was just messing with us. You don't, don't let that keep you from the house. You come on down. Everything's okay. It's not scary. And she wore me down, and I started coming around. And we'd still hear things a little bit, and I still did not want to be alone. But it was okay. And so more months go by, and it's Easter. 
and that tiny house is just packed with extended family. And I do something that year that is revolutionary. I decide I am gonna hide the Easter eggs. I am a girl and I am eight years old and my big brother Jason, who is 13, tells me this is a man's job and I am not cut out for it. And so, you know, if you tell a woman in my family that we can't do something, we are contractually obligated to do the thing. So I am hunting, or sorry, hiding the Easter eggs. I am hiding them, and I'm doing such a better job than my brother ever did. I'm color coordinating them. I'm really planning this out. It is gonna be quite the hunt. So I go around the front of the house, go around the side of the house. I'm nearly finished with my eggs, and I'm heading toward the back door. And I hear this loud crunch behind me. It's like I took a step and this crunch was a half second behind my step. I take another step, I hear another loud crunch, a half second behind my step, and I instantly know what this is. This is my brother Jason getting his revenge on me. He's about 20 feet behind me. He's going to scare me because he does this all the time. And I have, I've had it. I'm mad as hell, I'm not gonna take it anymore. I'm gonna get back at this brother. And so I decide I'm gonna let him come and try to scare me and I'm gonna jump around and I'm gonna scare the crap out of him. So I take a step and there's a crunch. I take a step and there's a crunch. And then suddenly those steps are much faster than my steps. And they are charging at me and they are loud and I'm thinking, oh my God, he's coming at me really fast, I gotta get ready. And the minute I hear them behind me, I turn around to scare him and there is nothing there. There is nothing there but that open yard and I drop the Easter egg basket and I run and I sit on the couch and I don't talk to anybody and all I can think is, is that the thing that made the footprints on the stairs? So, <laughs> Memma and Papa moved out of the house not long after this, thank God. And uh, it, this became a story that we would tell over our Snickers bars after trick-or-treating and years went by and I'm a storyteller and I have a tendency to think of my past in this very cinematic way, and maybe things aren't always exactly the way they happened, or at least according to my family. So I sat down with my mom and my aunt, and I was like, I wanna hear what really happened. And I was shocked that everything that I said happened exactly the way it had happened, but there was so much more to the story that was terrifying. This was not the first time my grandparents lived in this house. They lived in this house in the 50s with my mom as a little girl. Nothing paranormal happened in the house at that point, but it was really scary because the man who had originally owned the home, his wife had died tragically, and then he became mentally ill. His children forced him to sell the house, and for some reason, his dead wife's belongings never left that attic not even 30 years later when I was there. That's why we weren't allowed up there. And he could not let this house go. And he would stand on the edge of the property and he would stare. My mom, my grandmother, my grandfather couldn't do anything. He was outside the property. He just would stand and stare. And where you could see him best was from my grandparents' bedroom window. And that was why my grandmother could not stand the dog barking there. And one night, toward the end of their stay, Memal woke up because someone was standing outside the bedroom. And she saw my papal next to her, so she knew it wasn't him, it was a man. And she got up because she was terrified someone had broken into the house, and he walked away, and she could see that it was this original owner. I'll call him Mr. Jameson. It was him. He was dead at this point and he's walking through the front door, even though it's closed. 
And she was, you know, at that point, okay, yeah, I think we need to move out. I think it's time to go <laughs> find a different rental. And so she waited to give the keys to the owner after they had moved out. She was in the house. She'd been waiting for a little while when she heard a huge racket up in the attic. She heard footsteps coming down so solid that she was sure somebody had been working in the attic and she just went to go hand them the key. But there was nobody there except uh, there was one shoe on the bottom stair. It was a shoe she had lost the first week she'd moved in that she couldn't find for two years. And there it was. She decided to wait for the owner outside on the porch after that. <laughs> and so the final part of this story is that when I was sitting down with my aunt and my mom and we're talking about this, and we're getting ourselves all worked up, we were just a couple of miles from the house. And because we're idiots, we were like, let's go on over there and check it out. And so it's Bonneville, Kentucky. It's a little town. You can kind of drive up and say, hey, we're going to look at the house we used to live at. But nobody was there. And so we pull up. And we're, my little um, cousin, she was about five or six years old at the time, same age I was when we, when we moved in. And she didn't know any of this. She just thought we were going on a drive. And we get there. And we park the car. And she immediately gets out and runs to the basement door. And we're like, what are you looking at, Caitlin? She goes, I'm looking at the man. And we're like... Okay, and I'm, I'm really afraid somebody's in the house because to me, like, it's somebody's property. I'm afraid of a gun. I'm afraid of, like, real life things. So we go and we look. There's nobody there. And we say, well, what does he look like, honey? And she goes, he's a bad man. He has blood all over him. And I'm like, all right, and this has been fun, and let's go home. And my aunt is just one of these people. She just can't get enough of this stuff. So she's like, no, 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 let's just walk around. And my eyes are playing tricks on me. The curtains in the attic, they look like they're moving. And... And I can't tell if I hear things or not. But then suddenly, my mom and my aunt and I, we all get really quiet. And for some reason, we're looking at the porch swing. And I don't know why, but we're all drawn to it. And it's moving in the wind. It's a nice spring day. And then suddenly, my aunt, out of nowhere, goes, Mr. Jameson, are you still here? And it just stopped in midair. And then it slowly started to swing again. And my aunt, the idiot, no, I don't mean that, sorry. But my aunt, who's much braver than I am, says, Mr. Jameson, let's put it that way, Mr. Jameson, is that you? And it stops again. It starts back slowly. And she says, are you angry at us? You didn't seem to like us living here. And then the swing went wild. And it was shaking in every which way. And at that point, I left to go get back in the car. I was done. And the story was no longer fun. And to be honest, it still isn't. It's, it now really scares me. And my mama and Peppa, they, they died way too young. I lost them uh, a long time ago. And I really do feel their presence. You know, we were talking about the dreams. I dream about them still a lot. And they are still my security. But whatever the afterworld is, whatever happens to us when we die, I know one thing for sure. They are not haunting that damn house. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. yeah. For nice. Episode four. Yeah, nice to... Uh... I guess talk at you again since we're not <laughs> we're not in the same room. But you know, when when there's ability and when there's time, we look forward to doing another live show whenever that may be, and, and to seeing everybody again, whether in person, which is always you know my favorite personally, or posting videos and stuff. You know, so hopefully it's kept you company on a uh, you know during a time of uh, hanging around inside a lot. <laughs>
Yeah, and uh, you know, we just want to remind everybody to stay home uh, unless you absolutely need to go out. Um, let's protect everybody in our community. We should always act as if we have uh, the virus and protect everybody around us. That's our little pub public service announcement. And, you know, uh, please follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, um, and, of course, Facebook. Uh, we did a live show a couple weeks ago uh, from the comfort of our own home, and we're thinking about doing another one of those. Um, so stay tuned because if you want to participate in that, you can record yourself and put it in the comments section. Yeah, and if you ever wondered what uh, Stately Double-Edged Stories Mansion looks like, <laughs> you'll get um, at least a view of part of our dining room. When you have two teachers and one, you know, income or one income pool. It is kind of like winning. <laughs> <laughs> then the, the possibilities for real estate are endless. Yeah. Anyway, stay safe, everybody. Stay in touch. Um, and have a great day. Yes, yeah, signing off. Take care.